Scripture readings from 3 John will be the whole chapter. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my, bro- that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do, uh, you will do well, because they went forth in his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we, became, that we become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate that which is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write with you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. For everybody who has been able to be here to get photos taken, to uh, uh, make sure that uh, you know what uh, Light Post is all about, and uh, to be here at early times, it has been a day, and thank you so much. Thank you so very much. I think it's been a wonderful day being able to accomplish so much uh, while focusing on God. That is a wonderful thing. Uh, one of the neatest things that I uh, saw, a whole bunch of things today, but one in particular stuck out in my mind. Uh, we said we were going to be here till one, and there were a few of us who were here till a little bit after one. And right around that time, our brother and sister over here who uh, preaching, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but he was... Stafford, preaching in Stafford and teaching in Stafford, made sure that afterward they came here to get their picture taken, to make sure it was up to date, to make sure it's in light post, all that good stuff. And it was just such a neat surprise because you never know who's going to stay, who's going to show up, but you open that door and people do. And that was just such a wonderful blessing. Uh, Before we begin tonight, uh, I will mention, uh, try to say a thank you after services to the individuals who have been taking photos today uh, lovingly in the heat and the sun and humidity uh, in all sorts of heavy warm clothes. Tell them thank you because they sure did dedicate a lot of free time to that. Uh, Tell them thank you for their efforts and um, uh, I bet if you ask them nicely if you haven't been able to after services there will be some sunlight left It'll be a little bit more cloudy, easier to take photos, but also not as hot. 
And uh, if you haven't had a photo taken, if you ask nicely, they may be able to help you uh, after services this evening. And finally, and hopefully I won't do this every time getting up, but finally on Friday, this is no April Fool's joke, but on April 1st, Friday, uh, there is uh, the Young Families Devo. As I mentioned during the Light Post training, uh, it's geared toward young families as far as the lesson goes but it is not geared to only young families showing up, and that goes for the game nights as well. In case anybody uh, thought otherwise, the invitation is open for all. Have you ever met a brother or sister who is swift to offer the right fist of fellowship followed by the left hook of love? Their favorite Old Testament passage is Deuteronomy 2.34, And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. Their favorite New Testament passage is the first part of 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. Fight the good fight. It's got to end there. Their favorite church song is ready to suffer. And when you see them come around, you start thinking about it in your head. And their favorite country song is, I want to talk about me. These brethren have the spiritual gift of sourness and an amazing ability to find something wrong with everyone and everything in the church. There are six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false, false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. It is absolutely a must and absolutely true that we contend earnestly for the faith, Jude in verse 3, but never do we have the right as children of God, to be contentious. We must contend, but not contentiously. This afternoon, our assignment is very simple. We're going to examine the the three people in the book of 3 John. In the very short letter, 15 verses of 3 John, looking at Gaius and Diotrephes and Demetrius, And we're going to just ask some biblical questions when it comes to practicing unity and how to take care of those things that do sometimes crop up uh, in a congregation. First, you have this man named Gaius. In John's third short letter, he's writing to an individual named Gaius whom John is commending for overflowing love for the Lord and love for the brethren. And that's displayed in the words that John uses. Notice verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Notice he's loved in truth. Notice verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Imagine somebody telling you, I hope you are as healthy physically as you are spiritually. For some of us, that could be a death sentence. For others, we could compete in the world's strongest man competition. But Gaius is such a one that John can say that his spiritual health is so wonderful that it's the standard for his physical health. 
In verses 3 and 4, his love is so tied to the truth that it would bring joy to John and cause him to glorify God because of what Gaius has done. In verses 5 through 8, others will praise Gaius for his above and beyond efforts to hospitality, to taking care of visitors and guests and people who come in who uh, uh, are, are brethren. Gaius, in short... His life is a testimony to his faithfulness. And John praises him for it. When you look at Gaius, love surrounds his name. Truth surrounds his identity. And both are combined in his passion for God. You have Gaius. The second individual we're introduced to in just a couple of verses, verse 9 and 10, is Diotrephes. Read it again with me. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts who he wants to and puts them and who wants to and puts them uh, puts them out of the church diotrephes in verse 9 is described as a proud and arrogant man how did diotrephes handle the letter that john had written do you wonder Maybe he just laughed it off as, as junk mail. One of those things you see who it's from and you just toss it straight into the trash can because you know that you don't need another loan. Maybe he saw it in such a way as, as uh, uh, something to be uh, dealt with because he didn't trust John as an apostle. You see, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they all have this overflowing theme of truth and love and light and life and walking in it and making sure that the truth is known and to watch out for people who are going against the truth, who are walking in darkness, that, that kind of thing. And you wonder, how is it that Diotrephes was able to just kick people out of the church? I wonder if they met in his house. There's a lot of questions that we may have about him that aren't quite answered, but we don't need all of those answers. We do see something about Gaius. What if he simply argued, John's not even a member here. Why are we trying to go with what he says? Six times in 3 John, the word love is used in this very short letter. Six times in 15 verses. Five times. It's showing John's affection toward Gaius and one time showing Gaius' love for the church. But there's another word that's used, and it's a word that combines the word that we would get, you know, the, name, uh, the city named Philadelphia, and prototype, first love. And that's how Diotrephes, Diotrephes is described. He loves to put himself first. He loves to put himself first. There is pride and arrogance 
Where does his love lie? His love is to show himself first. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 21, 24, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, a haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Just ask the simple question, what kind of brother in Christ would ignore the authority of John, the apostle? In verse 9, he's described as a proud and arrogant man. In verse 10, he uses deceit and force to get his way. He speaks wicked nonsense against John and his co-workers. Again, you could even consider what Diotrephes is, uh, Diotrephes is trying to say. John himself once talked about standing for the truth and not letting in dangerous individuals. Now John doesn't seem to be willing to do otherwise. You're letting in all of these, uh, these uh, visitors, these foreign missionaries. We don't know what they stand for. Or what they be. We can't trust them. Shut them out of the church. They're not allowed in. And if you try to let them in here, you're not allowed either. Talking wicked nonsense against John and his co-workers. Talking wicked nonsense, lying. And forcing them out of the church. Where the family of God meant. Justification for diatrophies is easy. Got to keep the church pure. He refuses to receive brethren. He forces other brethren to withhold fellowship. And he kicks anyone out of the church who won't submit to him. The contrast between Diotrephes and and, uh, um, Gaius are stark. In short, everything that Diotrephes does is for his own self. And everything that Gaius does is spoken by others. And spoken well by others. And John in verse 11 boils it down to its simplest terms, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. You know, he wrote about that in 1 John in verse 2 and verse 16. In fact, he says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That pride of life, that horribleness in which Gaius is treating others, he says it's from the world. You have Gaius, sorry, Demetrius, uh, Gaius Demetrius is the third one, Gaius and Diotrephes and Demetrius. You did better at saying the names earlier than I am doing right now. Gaius, Diotrephes, and third, we have Demetrius. He's a lot like Gaius, our first man who's introduced. Everyone testifies to his life. The truth testifies to Demetrius' life. John testifies to Demetrius' life. The only one who Demetrius doesn't seem to receive a good testimony from is Diotrephes. You have Gaius who's beloved by John, who loves the truth, who lives the truth, who loves the brethren and helps the brethren. You have a man by the name of Diotrephes who is harming the church. 
kicking people out by his own authority and charging people with uh, things they did not commit, commit lying about their character and who they really are. And the question is, how do you deal with such an individual? How do you make sure that, that Demetrius can enter into that congregation of the Lord's people? How do you deal with people who have that diatrophies-like intimidation today? You know, it does seem that this is not John's first uh, interaction, his first run-in with diatrophies, doesn't it? It's possible that John's already uh, uh, sent uh, another letter or addressed him in private uh, and this letter was from that kind of conversation. He's already kicked, uh, thrown away a letter, rejected a letter from John. But John seems like the kind of person that's going to go to an individual in particular just as his Lord said to do. And Titus 3, 10 and 11 would say, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And because whatever uh, Diotrephes is doing to this congregation becomes well known, John is getting others who are sensible involved so that every word may be established. John is still trying to work with him and he determines to confront the situation in person, in public, since a private battle will not work. He writes about him and he says that if I come, I am going to bring this up to everyone. John deals with a difficult situation. Publicly, after privately, it's not going to work. You know, Paul would appeal to the Romans to mark and avoid those who cause such divisions. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple, Romans 16, 17 and 18. Here's the problem, though. Because what John does, and what uh, is rightly so, is he says this brother is behaving in a way that is against Christ. And what Paul says to do is after the second or third admonition to mark such a person and avoid them. But the problem that sometimes seems to happen today is it's the diatrophies type people that are doing all the marking. It's those ones who are so proud of themselves that marks others. There are some brethren who seem to get a sick sense of joy when they call out a brother or sister and revel in analyzing every single person in the brotherhood to make sure that they agree with them on everything. Notice, not agree with God. That's necessary. But to agree with them on everything. And if you haven't figured it out now, I'm not talking about anybody here. It has been so refreshing and wonderful to be in a place where there is such a unity and a blessed peace because of the love that everyone here has for each other. 
But we know that problems exist. We know we're not perfect. And we know that the church is full of imperfect people. And John is writing about how to deal with attitudes like Diotrephes. We have to make sure they don't become the standard to which faithfulness is measured. So the question becomes, how do we deal with the Diotrephes? And here's where the lesson gets really practical really quick. Because eventually the question becomes, when is the proper time to mark someone? And brethren, pray for your elders because that is a question that is the hardest question to answer, I believe, in ministry. But I do believe that there is a fourfold timing that's necessary. Number one, when the marking takes place because it is truly an issue that causes harm to the church and leads people away from God to the destruction of their souls. Number two, when all else fails, when all other efforts have failed and nothing else has worked in trying to reach out to the individual, trying to plead with them, trying to help them to see the light of Scripture. And number three, when there have been tears of sorrow and not fits of rage, when there have been tears of sorrow and not fits of rage, when it is truly an issue that causes harm to the church and leads people away to the destruction of their souls, that's what was happening in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Number two, when all else fails, John is still at this time trying to bring Gaius to his senses and bring other people in that can help this brother. Number three, when there have been tears of sorrow, not fits of rage. You remember reading about when Paul, through tears, would write about someone like Hymenaeus and Alexander. When Paul would write through tears of people who preached Christ out of envy and strife to try to cause him harm, but his focus was on praising God because the gospel was preached anyways. When there have been tears of sorrow and not fits of rage. And number four, when the goal is to helping the person and helping the church. 1 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In these incredibly difficult circumstances, when it is time to withdraw fellowship from someone, it is for the sake of keeping the congregation safe and for the sake of waking up the individual to their sin, to show them what it's like in a life that is separated from the family of God because that's where they are and that's where they're headed. When that fourfold timing 
uh, 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 happens, when that f- those four ideas come all together, it seems like you're a lot closer to the time that's right to have to do something that hurts us all. Paul would go on to say that a little leaven leavens the whole lump in verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 5, by the way. You know, there's been brethren that have been so beaten up by a preacher uh, uh, and kicked out of the church with absolutely no kind of grace or kind of love or kind of hope that there's almost no way to bring them back to God. When the world shows more Christ-like character than us, there's a problem. And again, I'm talking in generalities here. So how do we contend for the faith? Like Jude 3 says, how do we have a good testimony like Demetrius has? Again, five foundations, and the lesson is yours, five foundations to love and practice the truth to show grace to others. Number one, we need to give our brethren the benefit of the doubt. First Corinthians 13, 6, and 7. In fact, we sang it tonight. Love believes all things. Does that mean love is gullible? Not when it's tempered by truth. When you look at the idea of what the Corinthians are missing, they are missing love for one another. You know what love does? Love believes the best of our brethren until the evidence demands otherwise. Show you a little bit more how much of a nerd I am. Let me straighten my glasses here. Star Trek, The Next Generation. There's an episode called The Drumhead. This is Star Trek theology time or philosophy time. It is a very well-received episode of that series. And what happens is there is a saboteur on the ship And somebody comes on board to try to weed out who is this saboteur, who is the one who tried to destroy the enterprise, and you find out that this person is uh, just phenomenal at weeding out uh, uh, double agents and saboteurs and enemies. And as the uh, episode goes on, you find out that no one really is, it was just an accident. And the person who has been trying to weed out That enemy can't find anyone, and so they start to place evidence and lie and scheme. And there's a couple of quotes. One of them, the road from legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is shorter than we might think. We need to give our brethren the benefit of the doubt. The road from legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is shorter than we might think. Remember that we are God's family working to proclaim the resurrected Christ and his gospel, not enemies looking for a fight. Number two, we need to focus on our own business. I hate Facebook. I am not a fan of social media because it is antisocial in this day and age. And I'll tell you this, I think those kinds of tools are great. If you don't believe me, you should have been here at five. All these tools for us to connect together can be so helpful. 
but the abuse and the discouragement and the harassment and the attacks that take place on social media have no place in our lives. 2 Thessalonians 3.11 warns about being busybodies and getting into everybody's business. It's also dangerous for us to put all of our business out there for everybody in public to see. We need to focus on our own work. Number three, we need to praise humility and meekness and condemn pride and self-righteousness. Here's a second quote from that episode. Because the question is asked by some people who got on board with this person and followed them almost to the end of, of, of this, uh, this scenario and, and then finally coming to themselves and realizing that the person who was supposed to be the Savior was the one causing the problems and trying to cause all of this division just to get somebody arrested. And they asked the question, how could I have fallen for, for, for somebody so evil? And the response, again, it's another classic. Villains who twirl their mustaches are easy to spot, but those who clothe themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged. It's easy to see somebody who's laughing maniacally and twisting their mustache, but those who clothe themselves in good deeds are easy to spot. Isn't that straight from The Bible, wolves in sheep's clothing. It's too easy sometimes to overlook arrogance and pride because somebody has money, they're a prolific speaker, or because they agree on some things doctrinally. One preacher says it this way, you can be as straight as a gun barrel doctrinally, but just as empty inside. In fact, that's how our song in 1 Corinthians 13 begins, right? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, empty, hollow, and annoying. God condemns self-righteousness, and He does so maybe far often than, than we like to realize. Do you realize the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms would fall because of self-righteousness? That Jesus would save his harshest words for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're condemned because of their self-righteousness? The constant warning in Scripture again and again is to avoid these self-deluded people and move on to better things. And I'll just ask it this way, if God opposes the proud, James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, shouldn't we? If God opposes the proud, shouldn't we? Number four, we must avoid extremism. Use the word sound, use the word balance, call it healthy, that's the definition of sound, by the way. We must avoid extremism. There's an old story uh, spoken of. A man had three sons, and the man said, go take a hundred feet of rope and tie the cow to the middle of the uh, pasture, the pole that's in the middle of the pasture. The first son says, you know what, that hundred feet, I don't think that's enough. I'm going to give him 125 feet. 
make sure he can get just a little bit more grazing going on. And sure enough, that cow can get to the hundred feet where there is food and there's water, but just a little bit further away, there's some poisonous plants and the cow dies. Second son sees that, recognizes that that was a dangerous thing to do. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to let them get anywhere near that. I'm going to cut the rope down to 75 feet. And that cow can definitely avoid those poisonous plants that will kill it, but it can't get to the water and the nourishment that it truly needs to survive. The third son says, I'm just going to do what my father said to do. And he gives him the 100 feet. The cow gets the proper nourishment that it needs. And he stays away from those poisonous plants. Avoid extremism. And number five, we need to know when to thunder and we need to know when to whisper. And sometimes just be quiet. Because sometimes we tend to thunder when we should zip it and we're silent when we should thunder. And vigilance really is key. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, Colossians 4, 6. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be as wise as serpents and innocent gentle as doves. As we close tonight, turn to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, it is a song of a sense of David. And he says, behold. Notice he says, look. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's soothing, it's refreshing. That's what it's like to dwell together in unity. Because in the world there is not that unity. But the children of God dwelling together in unity. What a blessed thing that is. What a marvelous thing that is. Tonight the question is simple. Do we love truth? Do we love brethren? Or do we have some serious humbling to do? How beautiful the body of Christ is and how wonderful it is to live in unity with one another and love for one another and love for the truth together. You know, with this difficult letter that John writes, he doesn't end negatively. In the midst of a congregation that is going through this kind of division, And John understanding the problem that's taking place and the struggle and the difficulty and the fights that are coming, he ends his letter, peace be to you. The friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. See, John has hope that that situation could be resolved. Resolved. 
We don't know anything else about Diotrephes, about Demetrius, about Gaius. But I think we can all hope like John that that congregation would experience peace and brethren dwelling together in unity. Can we help you find the peace of God tonight? Through faith, repentance, and baptism, you can come to God and He'll add you to His family. Wash away your sins so that you can walk in a new life. Or you may simply just need the prayers of this sweet congregation and we would love to do so. To pray with you, to help you in any way, come forward as we stand and sing.